So this morning, um, if you would join me in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be starting at chapter 1 and verse 18. And I'm old-fashioned. I usually use a regular Bible. So just to give you some time, if you do the same, to find that verse. Um, as Kevin said, my name is Jenna Cobb. I usually attend the morning service here in Columbia Heights and am sometimes working with table kids. Um, so that means that I probably don't know the great majority of you, um, but it's great to be standing before you today. And uh, I am an attorney by profession. I came to DC in 2014 after I got my Master's of Divinity. And I kept threatening that I was gonna get involved with the church for about two years. Um, and the most that I really did was add my name to email lists. Um, they, were, they were pretty empty threats. And so one day this summer, I get an email from Kevin Lum saying, mourning and lamenting the loss of um, two unarmed black men who were shot by police. And it really touched me. And I said, this is where I need to be. I emailed Kevin, had coffee. And a few short months later, here I am, um, standing up in front of all of you, many who I don't know. So thank you, Kevin. <laughs> so if you would join me in Matthew, starting in chapter 1, verse 18. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. Setting aside for a moment the name of the church, and I promise, believe it or not, I didn't even make the connection until I was really deep into sermon preparation. So let's set aside the name of the church for a second. In fact, let's set aside religious context altogether. The metaphor of a table is one that's often referenced. It invokes a sense of belonging. It has come to be a metaphor not just for mere presence, but for meaningful presence, for decision-making power, for a voice. 
That's why, and don't worry, this is not a political sermon, so we won't lose our nonprofit status. But that's why as <laughs> Donald Trump assembles his cabinet, there are grave concerns that rise. Because it actually matters who is seated at the table. For the music fans out there, some of you may, not, may know that at the end of September, Solange, and as a little sister, I don't want to refer to her as Beyonce's little sister, but Solange released an album, and she called it A Seat at the Table. This album largely reflects a common experience shared by many African-American people, a history and a presence that has often been characterized as a struggle to get a seat at the table. And we see it in the excerpt of the Langston Hughes poem that I just shared with you, I Too Sing America, where the narrator speaks of a time, hopefully in the not-so-distant future, where he too will no longer be quieted, will no longer be hidden, a future where he fully belongs, a tomorrow where he too will have a seat at the table. I'm a little under the weather, so bear with me. The past few weeks, we've been celebrating Advent, a time when we prepare to celebrate the historical birth of Christ, a time when the church as a whole looks forward to Christ's return with great anticipation, a time when we acknowledge that in the presence, Christ still lives among us. During this season of Advent, we've been taking readings from the lectionary, and if you don't know what that is, it's just simply a collection of biblical readings that many people across the world use. This morning, then, we join many Christians who are reading and discussing the same passage, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, across the world. It may come to a surprise that in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, there's very little about the birth. You don't hear about this baby swaddled in clothes and lying in a manger. You don't hear about these angels appearing to shepherds. And as I read the passage over and over again, this passage that sets out to describe how the birth of Jesus came about, over and over I was struck by the same image. This image that injects political conversation. This image that floods poetry and floods music. See, I found this story about the way the birth of Jesus came about to be truly a story about having a seat at the table. This passage from Matthew is so familiar to so many people. And the danger of that familiarity is that we can get to a point where we read it almost like a fairy tale. We forget that these are real people with real struggles, real emotions, real pain. Matthew's recounting of Jesus' birth is not one that you see in Christmas pageants or plays. Despite the joy usually associated with this Christmas season, the story is one that had to have been marked with hurt with despair, with heartache. And I appreciate that. See, often at Christmas, there's this idea that everyone's supposed to be happy and singing carols in front of a fire, that it's the most wonderful time of the year. And while I love Christmas and I appreciate that, in all of that, it can be so easy to forget that for so many people, Christmas is such a difficult time. I first came to understand this when, as a child, my uncle died on Christmas Day. Now, I'm still convinced that I'm his favorite niece, and I miss him deeply. But the pain and the tears and the sorrow that I saw my mother go through that Christmas Day and the Christmases that would follow have been seared into my memory forever. 
This Christmas season, you can turn on the news and see the death, destruction, and despair that our brothers and sisters in Aleppo are facing. So many people are hurting from the loss of a loved one, from fear of an uncertain future, from fear of a broken world. And even as we hold up all those who are hurting in prayer, Matthew's story reminds us that if we are hurt, if we are grieving, if we are experiencing heartache this season, that's okay. After all, the first advent wasn't marked with parties or presents or songs. God worked through real people with real challenging situations. Situations that in fact could have become life or death. And in all of this, in the passage, we find Joseph in the middle of a scandal. See, Mary was engaged to Joseph, only engaged probably isn't the best translation. It wasn't an engagement as we think of it today. They had already entered into this legal contract, and the only way out was death or divorce. And some of you know the story. Mary turns up pregnant, or as the Bible says, she's found to be pregnant. And Joseph knows he is not the father. It was quite the scandal. Because if Joseph wasn't the father, that meant some other man was. And that Mary had committed adultery. Legally, she could be subject to death by stoning. But Joseph made no legal charges against her. Not only that, but the Bible says that Joseph was such a righteous man that he didn't even want to expose her to public disgrace. After considering the situation, after considering the scandal, Joseph made up his mind. He wouldn't bring legal action against her. He wouldn't expose her to public humiliation. Instead, as we see in verse 19, he would divorce her quietly. But one can imagine the shame, the disappointment, the betrayal that Joseph must have felt. And as a side note here, Joseph didn't have a monopoly on the pain and the heartache. One could only imagine Mary's pain, being accused of doing something wrong that she hadn't done, knowing that she could face death for being obedient to God's plan, knowing that no matter how many times she tried to explain to the neighbors that it was the Holy Spirit's baby, no one would believe her. She'd be talked about. She'd be chastised. That said, Matthew's version is written from the perspective of Joseph. So here we are, standing with him as he faces this dilemma, as he resolves it for himself. He would let her live. He would let her go quietly. But he decided that she could not have a seat at his table. Some modern scholars have criticized Joseph, saying, well, even if she had committed adultery, because of the societal customs and norms, he knew that he was subjecting her to a life of shame and poverty. But given the scandal, it's really hard to be critical of Joseph's reaction. After all, how often do we want to invite those who have wronged us to take a seat at our table? Besides, under the law, adultery required divorce. So Joseph's mind was made up. But in verse 20, we see that after he had decided this, he's visited by an angel of the Lord in a dream. And the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The Lord says to Joseph, don't be afraid to do this crazy thing, because it will welcome God. 
Don't be afraid to do this thing that people will not understand in order to fulfill God's purpose. Don't be afraid to be talked about. Go ahead, give Mary a seat at your table. And like Joseph, I have my own ways of doing things. Often my ways seem nice. They even seem right, if you ask me. And yet God comes in and says there's a way that seems right to you, but in the end it only leads to destruction. Because in retrospect, Joseph's plan was a bit flawed despite his best intentions. Even a quiet divorce would have the effect of shaming and humiliating Mary. It was a legal procedure that required witnesses. And you can imagine how fast word would spread. And God comes and says, Joseph, it's not enough to try not to humiliate Mary. It's not enough to try not to shame her. It's not enough to quietly walk away. If we're going to have a part in the reign of Christ, we have got to take some affirmative action. And the question as Christmas approaches is, will we, like Joseph, not hesitate to do that which the Lord is calling us to do? The story of Joseph obeying God and giving Mary a seat at the table despite her apparent betrayal is a story of radical inclusiveness. See, I find it interesting that here even the law would tell Joseph, you need to divorce Mary. And that directly conflicted with God's purpose and plan. And we all know that there are unjust laws. Even our own religious customs and understandings may clash with what is actually right in the sight of God. And what do we do with that? Will we be so wed to those things that we couldn't even imagine putting them aside in order to assure that another person has a seat at the table? a call to radical inclusiveness. Joseph believed that Mary was someone society would shun, someone who would bring him shame, an unwed pregnant girl who had committed adultery, directly betraying him. And yet, God says, give Mary a seat at your table. But the Christmas story is not just one of Joseph giving Mary a seat at the table. It's also one of Joseph giving Jesus a seat at the table. See, the angel says to Joseph that Mary will have a son and then commands Joseph to name that baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In verse 25, this is exactly what happens. Mary gives birth to a son and Joseph names that son Jesus. Now, if Joseph is anything like me, Even after hearing from God, he would have had his doubts. If he's like me in any way, he would question from day to day whether God was really telling him that thing. If he's anything like me, there were times when he was still convinced that Mary had betrayed him. And still we know that Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. As Matthew writes, this happens to fulfill scripture, the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph literally gives God a seat at the table. God in all of the messiness of being a human being. God learning to talk and walk and eat. God wearing diapers. Joseph gives this God a seat at the table. And so as we stand one week away from Christmas, we must ask ourselves, have we welcomed God into every aspect of our lives? Have we welcomed God into the very messiness of our own existence? Have we given God a seat at the table? 
One thing that I've appreciated the most about this community has been the realness of the people that I've encountered. There hasn't seemed to be this pressure to present it like you have it all together, which I find very helpful because I don't. I can be the same person at work and at church and in my daily life, and God can be a part of it all. But the question of whether we have truly given God a seat at our table is not just abstract, it's not just theoretical, and it certainly is not just about spiritual practice. With the birth of Christ, God literally came to sit at the table with us. And even now, Jesus tells us exactly what it means to give him a seat at the table. Later in Matthew's gospel, as after Jesus has grown up and is doing his public ministry, he says, when the Son of Man comes in glory, he will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Jesus goes on to say, then the righteous will answer the Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these of my brothers, that you did for me. Jesus tells us what it means to give God a seat at the table. In Jesus' kingdom, where the first are last and the last are first, where he commands us to have a feast and not just invite our neighbors and friends, but instead invite the outcast, those who could never repay the favor. That very person you don't want to welcome, that very person you think can't do anything for you, that is who God is calling us to give a seat at the table. After all, if everyone in our community looks like us and acts like us and thinks like us, we must pause and ask ourselves, are we really giving God a seat at the table? Finally, Matthew's Christmas story calls us to take a seat at the table. Before the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, he had resolved to divorce her quietly, and in some translations it said that he resolved to dismiss her quietly. I particularly like that translation because it speaks to what I so often have to fight against doing when I know I've been called to do something that I don't quite want to do. I don't know about you, but for me, there's always this temptation to dismiss it quietly. Let me give you an example. Um, to be completely honest, and I share this with Angela, I don't love public speaking. My heart beats fast. I cling to my notes for dear life. I worry I say the wrong thing. I start talking fast and eyeing my seat trying to get back there. And I just, it's just not something that I would naturally want to do. I start questioning my qualifications, questioning my abilities. If I'm being honest, it's the same reason that I don't often post to social media. I don't open myself up to that kind of criticism. I don't want to put my thoughts out there for all the world to see. And yet, the job that I do, Kevin called it my day job, it's probably a day, weekend, and night job, but that job will require me tomorrow to stand up in front of a courtroom of people. And no matter how much I do it, I have to pump myself up. I have to give myself pep talks. I have to convince myself I'm up to the task and that I can do this. 
And then I have to remind myself that this is not something that I can dismiss quietly. Another example, when Kevin asked me to preach, I knew I had to answer quickly, or I would give myself a million reasons why I should thank him for the invitation, but dismiss it quietly. See, I know what Joseph knew. Sometimes it is easier to walk away. It's certainly more comfortable to see the thing you're called to do and dismiss it quietly, to not take your seat at the table. So sisters and brothers, what is God calling you to do that you would rather dismiss quietly? Think of that thing and challenge yourself this Christmas season to do it. Because chances are this thing is bigger than you and it's bigger than me. You're the answer to someone's problems. You're the answer to someone's prayers. There are people out there hurting, broken, oppressed, waiting for you to take your seat at the table so that you can make the way for them to do the same. And as we approach the end of Advent, my prayer is that we all strive to give God a seat at our table. That we all strive to give our brothers and sisters a seat at our table. That we all strive to take our own seat at the table. And may we, like in Langston Hughes' poem, conceive of and hope of and bring forth a tomorrow where we are all fully seated at the table where those who seek to oppress will see how beautiful we are and be ashamed. Amen.